0: You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey
1: everyone, Chris Lopez here and welcome to our next podcast episode. So, you know, a couple months ago, we did a seven or eight part series called Elevate Your Flip, where I had Derek Marlin uh, on the podcast sharing all of his Details and his blueprint for flipping in Denver. And I think we mentioned on those episodes that, you know, at least every quarter that we're going to get together and do a quarterly update and talk about what's going on in the market, what he's seeing from his end, some stats, and review two or three deals. Well, since we released that first series back in January, and now we're recording this in May. Man, oh man, the world has changed, so we're still sticking with the original plan of giving some updates and talking about some deals, but now we'll also be talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected flipping. So Derek, it is wonderful to have you back, man. Chris, thanks for having me. So uh, I know a lot of listeners know who you are, so let's just kind to, um, I guess, start off with a story and paint us a picture because I know you know, I know and our listeners know that you were just, you know, you were cruising, you were rock and roll with your system in place. And then like everyone, we got this gigantic curveball. So like, just kind of paint us a picture as to what happened and how you've been adapting.
0: Yeah. Great question. I think that things definitely happened for a reason. And so we are always quick to point out when we're fortunate in that we had a ton of inventory that we finished and put on the market and sold in January and February. And so we we were at our 13th project by the end of February, had sold everything, um, only had two active projects. And so we're looking and just sticking to our guns and our guidelines even before this pandemic hit. And then with that heading, it gave us the reasonable opportunity to just quickly evaluate what was going on, not necessarily put the brakes on, but we didn't have five things going, luckily, to you know panic, if you will, step back and just look at it, and we're able to, um, you know, effectively decide how we wanted to move forward. So timing was good, and we we were fortunate to do that too.
1: Great. So we are recording this uh, the third week of May on May 21st. Yep. let give everyone the dates on here since week by week things are changing. What have you seen from like an activity, you know, stats level from like yeah. the flipping side of the market?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we are huge into data. I think that probably listeners got that from our first go-round, but even more so. And I think it helps people get rid of that level of fear if you can stick to your plan and and really look at data. So what we looked at is things on a weekly basis. Um, And so going into the pandemic, we had one property that we had listed and um, showings definitely declined. It was right before they actually physically stopped. Uh, Then we had a project that was midstream and we listed that here right after things reopened. So we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, But what we're definitely seeing is Levels similar to last year, as far as new listings coming on the market, we kind of looked at a six-week compression, which is what we're at the very end of, and had that significant drop in the middle of April. Yep. Um, Saw new listings come back on. Obviously, there's a similar curve with what goes under contract. The good news is there were slightly more properties that went under contract. Um, As of last week, there were 2,932 properties that went under contract versus only 2,810 that were listed. So for us, we're super focused on supply and demand as our main metric of deciding, is this a healthy market? Um, The other thing that helped create an imbalance, in my opinion, that is kind of in our favor as people that are doing rehabs and flips, there was a lot of properties where people kind of panicked uh, and withdrew their property off the market. So there were multiple, I'm just kind of looking at my data, there were multiple weeks where we were 700, 600, 500 homes every week that we're coming off the market. So if we think about what was being listed, what's under contract, and what's withdrawn, it kept going in our favor as far as feeling overall relatively comfortable that what we did finish and put on the market was going to sell if we did a great job finishing it and priced it well. So I got I got a lot of questions I'm
1: going to ask you on, yeah. on what you're seeing just because you're, you're in a completely different set of trenches than I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, so I say, so I think right now we're probably through the worst of the, at least the initial part of the pandemic, yeah, or at least would the first wave or whatever. Did you see a spike in distressed properties? Did you get better than average deals? Did people freak out that much, and were they selling – uh, cheaper than they normally have? Did you get like a rush of deals for those four or
0: six weeks there? That's a great question. I just commented prior on, you're right, on the sell side of things. On the buy side of things, I was surprised. I thought there would be more deals. I thought there would be more distress. I thought there would be more people that wanted to just cut bait and run. Um, and so we we had capital ready to to deploy um, and I didn't find that good of deals. Um, I'll give you one quick example. I had a, a, a prospective client that we worked with a year ago wanted to sell his home. It was an off-market opportunity. We had made an offer. He decided to fix it up himself and, and not work with us, which was fine. Um, typically, that means that they're not going to do that. So he called me a week later, uh, or excuse me, a year later, and then said, hey, I called Zillow. They're not making cash offers. I called Open Door. They're not making cash offers. And so I said, well, good news, I am. Um, so I quickly just reanalyzed the deal and um, that specific property was in a little bit worse shape a year later. So I adjusted my offer price only by four thousand dollars. Um I wanted to be, you know, reasonable and then just told him, hey, I'm finishing this and I'm selling this property in a lot of uncertainty. So I, I have to be conservative. Yeah. Um he he again didn't take our offer. Uh, maybe he calls me next year. I don't know. Um, but he definitely called because there was definitely some distress in that nobody else was buying. This house was in a bit of disrepair and couldn't list it traditionally. So we saw a little spike, but there weren't amazing deals out there. And then we do still buy about half of our inventory on the MLS. And with that shrink in properties coming on, we had less to pick from too. So no, I didn't see these great deals. We were totally ready to buy, and I didn't see anything amazing.
1: So from a a simplistic standpoint, you know, around this time Mm -hmm. this year versus this time last year, was it worse, about the same, or better as far as, like, deals you were seeing?
0: Deals we were seeing uh, this time now is a little uh, worse or less is maybe the the word that I would choose. Just less inventory for us to pick from unless somebody is in a super distressed financial position, they are definitely riding it out and don't want people in their house, don't want to look at even cash offers. We were really promoting the fact that, hey, good news, you don't have to have 10, 15, 20, 30 showings. You don't have to clean. It's two people in masks and gloves for an hour, and we'll have a cash offer to you 24 hours later. And a lot of people still weren't as into it. Um we said, "Hey, FaceTime us and show us your house and we can get a really good idea and we'll just come in and do a sewer scope." And um had a little bit of interest, but no, not really. Yeah, not people jumping at, "Oh my gosh, let me see." Um we even were putting out messages to folks that had rental properties to say, "Okay, if your person isn't paying rent, call us. We're still interested in buying your house because for me, I can sit on a house for a month or two for a good deal." even if a person isn't paying rent, I can still buy that house. We didn't have people calling. So I was really surprised that the acquisition side is harder this year, in my opinion, because there's less inventory than there was last year.
1: That's interesting. Um, one thing I actually want to circle back around to because you briefly mentioned, you know, Zillow and Opendoor, the, the big I buyers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I remember you know, six weeks ago or eight weeks ago, I think they all, from my headline reading, they all pretty much stopped yes. offering. Yep. Um So do you see that, I'm assuming, do you see as a better opportunity for like you and like smaller operators out there? Yes. But have you started noticing a shift in there yet since they're no longer in the market? Are you getting a bigger piece of the pie? Or is there too many other variables juggling in there?
0: Good point. I think there's a lot of other variables to consider. I think it's always a lagging indicator, too, of that traffic coming down the pipeline to us. So I think we will have better opportunities because they are still on hold, from my understanding. I was on Zillow yesterday. They actually are promoting that there's a wait list for when they do start. Um, so we're trying to figure out how do we uh, call That's that good wait marketing list. marketing on their I'm um, <laughs> like, okay, great. Um, sure. So no, we are definitely looking at that. I, I slowly see more coming our way and more opportunities, but it's not open the floodgates. It's not people that say, oh my gosh, I really do want to sell. Um, so it's, it's, it's still difficult, but we're also not, we're getting a little more conservative on our metrics of selling it on the back end too. We're not just forecasting complete blue skies, even though there's a lot of great activity to sell. So we've also quote unquote missed on some deals because we, Think we just got to sell it for a little bit less on the back end, and and other people have paid more.
1: So you know now, kind of thinking, you know, six months forward, because I get this question yeah. every day yeah. from my clients and listeners of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's going to be a surge of you know foreclosures and distressed properties in three months, six months, nine months because of the pandemic? I've got my opinion, but I want to ask you yeah, before I yeah, that, share my
0: thoughts. That's a great question. I think there will not be a surge. I think there will definitely be an increase mm-hmm. because I think, unfortunately, people have had to buy more expensive real estate every single year, significantly more expensive real estate. And at some point, if people are losing uh, one of two jobs or their main source of income, you, you truly can't just make those payments you know, forever. Um, So I think there will be an increase, but I think my takeaway on the big difference of of the last crash versus this one is that back then no one had equity. So people were kind of open to walking away from being quote unquote underwater. Now people have equity. So even if they're past due on their payments, I don't foresee them getting to the foreclosure state. Um, Maybe they're a little bit Behind, And we're trying to figure out how the whole forbearance thing works, that they can kick the can down the road three to six months anyways, and they're technically not going to be past due. I think that gives them another three to six month runway to sell and not be distressed. And then there's there's still equity. So that's the thing that we always tell sellers is, hey, good news for you. If, if unfortunately you're in a spot where you need to move or you have a different job or downsize, you're still gonna make great money. Um, and you can still sell it and keep it simple and avoid paying commissions and stuff in our world. Um, so I don't see a huge one coming. I see a bit of a, an uptick, but I just don't think there's going to be this huge spike in the Denver market. Completely different in other markets, but yeah. Denver's a little, I think, more conservative.
1: I agree with you. So just only, you think yeah, it's going to be think? like, I really agree with all the stuff you said just from okay. all the data points. I think there'll be like a small increase. Yeah. I think I can't give a, I think It'll be definitely more than normal because all the stuff going on. But I don't think we're going to see any type of price declines. And I think that stuff they will, a lot of will still sell the market. And like I said, they have equity. They'll yep. still get you know their price out of there, right. and there's still so much demand for it. Like I, agree. I mean, it's I was I've been amazed at just through the whole last eight weeks how many people are still out there putting offers in and buying properties. And I know you know a chunk of the buyer pool got knocked out, but yep. there's still you know for every one buyer got knocked out, there's still
0: 10 or 20 there, it seems. I think so too. And I think what it also knocked out was the casual buyer that I think we were almost looking at inflated showing numbers and getting excited that on average, we were definitely having a minimum of 25 to 30 showings per property. But inherently, probably 10, maybe even half, uh, were kind of just out for a nice... Saturday afternoon, maybe in the market, maybe not. So even though we mm. only had a small number of buyers, I think they're way, or uh, lookers, they're way more of a, a legit buyer for our property. And I think that's what happened on this one we just did in Parker, Colorado, which is southern, a Southern suburb. Um, we had, we listed right before showing lockdown. So people still could show. Um, we wanted to list this property at 525. Uh, to put it into context for your audience, it's a five bedroom three-bathroom property, um, just over like 3,400 square feet, uh, completely remodeled, um, pulled all the permits, finished the basement, did really a, a cool job um, on this one. Your, your folks can look it up. It's 22141 Wintergreen Way. And um, comps definitely would have dictated us listing it at 525, only one other um, remotely decent property on the market. But I just said, I don't know if showings are going to stop. Lending, what's going to happen there? So we just priced it at 500 to hit people looking on both ends of that 500 spectrum. We only had eight showings in a week, which for us is a really low number. But I think every one of them were very legit buyers, and we got a full price offer and closed 30 days later. So to me, that's the the change in, okay, normally I would have had 30 showings, but probably 10 or 15 of them were just the neighbors or people kind of out and about.
1: Yeah. So how have you... Um, you know with you know, we went through a time with no showings now Mm -hmm. It's still limited showings and stricter showings. What have you done on the back end to sell your properties to like adapt?
0: Yeah, that's a great price or a great point. Um, it's mostly pricing is huge You got to make sure even though it's the classic Investor maybe going over budget or feeling like oh because we spent this we need to price it at that You still have to price it in my opinion super efficiently to move that property, so we're really sensitive to pricing.
1: And you're still like you try press like two points below fair market value. Yeah, like right around mm-hmm. there.
0: Yep. Yeah, just a little bit below fair market value has always been kind of our strategy. We always want to generate multiple offers and pick the best buyer. Yeah, and it's super efficient. That's kind of back to my finance days. The market is efficient; it'll work itself out. Um, definitely don't overprice. We've spent more on staging than we have in the past. We've spent on average about four to five hundred dollars more per property to. Stage it with as nice a stuff as possible. We've added little rooms that we normally wouldn't stage. So, for example, we just listed a property in the, the West Highlands, um, really nice, hip um, part of town, just northwest of, um, of Denver. And we finished the basement in this project and had a little kind of space that was uh, pretty multifunctional. So, we actually staged that space that led to the master suite downstairs. And put it in as a little Airbnb um, type area with a little bit of seating, a Keurig, um, put in some extra shelving, some stuff to kind of show them. Hey, if you want, you can also rent this downstairs. I normally wouldn't have spent that. Um, and then we put uh, another really specific office placement in that property. So um, the gal we work with is two to two hundred fifty dollars more per room. So we just spent more on staging. Um, so that was something that that we pivoted and it was important.
1: So did you put the office down there because everyone's working from home from now? Were you trying to kind of cater towards that? Like, oh crap, I need an office now at home.
0: Yeah, we did it. This specific layout was really, really conducive actually to have it on the main level. And it was one of those shotgun style one side of a duplex where you've got a great living room, a great dining room, flows into what we opened up as the kitchen. And then before you went downstairs, you had this little back addition that a lot of people put on in the 50s. And so it was this great space that we specifically um, staged to be the office. And then in this property, you walk downstairs and then we stage it as, hey, here's your Airbnb or maybe your rental type play to just appeal to as many people as possible. But I was just talking with my team before we came up here and we're absolutely gonna again spend more on staging and a little more on fixtures and finishes to build out a dedicated office space for home work, because we know people are gonna do it. So before we would just take your spare bedroom, put a desk, a lamp, a couple of books, and and um, it was quote unquote an office. Now we will, you know, maybe invest in doing more built-ins. Like actually like a built-in
1: desk or built-in yeah. shelving?
0: An actual built-in desk, an actual built-in shelving, stage more efficiently, really kind of spend more to deck out an office space because we know lots of people will probably use that.
1: Oh, I like that. That's a really good idea. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we're definitely going to do that. So that's definitely a pivot where it's, we always try to do kind of reasonably priced, value add things to help us sell. And, and to me, it's a no brainer.
1: Oh, and ins, they, I mean, you know, from an emotional standpoint, they had so much value for people. Yeah. Because you're a pain in the ass to put in they yourself. They But if it's done for, you just have to go on there and put your books and your lamp on there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good idea.
0: It's perfect. And then a lot of ours was technology-based too. So we immediately went to um, instead of getting kind of the photographer that might be in the queue for a, a larger company where you get the luck of the draw who's available, we're specifically booking specific photographers um, who cost a little bit more but take by far better pictures. We're spending money on adding Zillow 3D tours to every single listing. And then um, I've got it teed up because we were thinking on this island's property that we might have to do it. But we're set to go with the essentially a videographer so we can do a short format 90 second almost a tour of me being like a host if you will and taking them through the property because i'm banking on people maybe sitting at home and not being able to see this five hundred thousand dollar plus property and so i want to point out to them hey look at these built-in shelves look at this quality of craftsmanship and and kind of tour them and walk them through so if stuff hits the fan again coming up in the fall then we've got it modeled in and priced in to do this extra kind of 90 second tour if you will not just a 3d tour it's me physically walking through and talking them through it
1: I, oh i think that's still smart to do now because yeah. i mean what you know what we've been talking with our clients which you know we mostly do buy side stuff and mm-hmm. just chattering with other agents around email or you know, email and facebook um, you know hey a lot of clients if they want to go see six properties it's more like hey narrow down those two or three properties you really want to see yeah because other ones that are the maybes you're just checking them out because you kind of want to see them they're now you know narrowing down those two or three really ones you want to see and that basically comes down to media, pictures and videos. And you know, I, I think, you know, decent descriptions, but mostly it's it's pictures and videos. Yeah. Um, so I think that's
0: a really good idea. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely I think I think you're spot on too. It's definitely an area where it's worth the extra investment. And and again, I think that's a the great point. We've got to narrow it down to being the top couple of, of options for people to physically go look at, especially if there is a, a heavier lockdown again.
1: I'll have to show you a, a video. I've never seen this until like two weeks ago. So one of my my friends who does a videographer for me, um, uh, Julie, she sent over this 360-degree camera mm-hmm. that you can walk through with. And then when you like upload to YouTube or Vimeo, as you turn your iPhone, yeah. you can do a total 360-degree walk through the room. It's crazy. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's really cool. Yeah, I would love yeah. to check that out.
1: I'll have to say, I'll send it to you. If anyone's yeah. out there interested in listening, I can, I'll double check your permission. Sure. There's a really cool video sure. that uh, yeah. she sent me. Um, I awesome. was like That is just so
0: cool. Yeah, no, that's um, awesome.
1: So this is something we talked about um, just, you know, because we chatted once or twice during the, the lockdown mm-hmm. while we were getting ready preparing for this. And we were just talking about, you know, that we're both still very busy. Yeah. You know, I've obviously pivoted my my time, but like from your day-to-day stuff, you know, we got a good picture about you and what your team was doing on like, you know, that, that weekly basis. Mm-hmm. How, you know, how much has changed from your guys' daily activities, you know, under the pandemic? And like, what's changed and what are you focusing on right now during this, you know, I'll say, you know, different time. I don't want to say, yeah, it's just a different time. Yeah,
0: just a different time. I think that's the biggest thing is just redefining it as what is the new normal. Yeah. Um, Because I think there are some things that will never go back to the way they were. And and half of those probably are not a bad thing to do. So for us, we really try to say, what is the core and the essence of us putting out a good product? And it focuses on um, kind of the number one classic piece of real estate is location. So for us, it was location of looking at properties that um, fringe areas might not be quite as desirable, but heart of Denver, uh, there is only so much, you know, dirt or lack of dirt, um, in some of these nice areas that are within a three or four mile radius of downtown. Um, speed is another one for us. If we can get in and out quickly, because it's a smaller project, we definitely feel more comfortable that knowing that we can do a condo, for example. In the past, we have only done one one-bedroom, one-bathroom condo in the six years I've been doing the flip side of the business. Um, And we just purchased two in the past two weeks, but they're in really good areas. So we just bought one in Congress Park, which is a great um, you know, neighborhood that's Mm -hmm. a handful of minutes outside of downtown that the spreads are a little bit smaller, but we can get in and out. We're creating almost an, an even more turnkey model on the way to renovate this specific unit. There are not a lot of them that are truly fixed up because it's not a huge profit margin. But if I can do two of those and I can be done in, in a month, and we're talking a 640-square-foot unit, so this is not big, um, we know or we think there's going to be good demand for a really nicely fixed-up product that's under $300,000 in Denver. Um, even if it corrects and it's 10% less, I don't think that's going to happen in a month or two. So we're, we're hedging our bets on speed, Location and then definitely just the quality of work. Um, we always feel like we put out good quality of work, but it's just all these little extras that we think we have to do to sell the product. Okay. And, um, Let's talk about some deal analyses now. Yeah, okay. I know I think
1: you had prepared three to discuss, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where Where should we start? That Parker one?
0: Yeah, we can start with the Parker one. We kind of touched on it oh, yeah. uh, initially. This was one that we got from uh, an off-market networking partner that we we work with. Um, we, we, For the numbers to work, I'll completely work in any suburb. Um, we know that obviously there's not quite as much demand in a town of Parker, um, which is about 35 minutes south of Metro Denver. But the folks that want to live in that part of, of Metro Denver it's it's definitely desirable mm-hmm. so on this one um, we bought it and the basement was unfinished so we finished it out to a five bedroom three bathroom house I'm um, gonna mention really thought that we should be, been able to price it at 525 which is still more reasonable than almost anything out there decided to kind of keep it safe and, and move it and price it at 500 it went um, on the market yeah for literally we had eight showings in seven days. Um, And uh, we had one full price offer. And our big points of making sure that we felt like we could get to the finish line was really vetting the buyers um, from a lending perspective. Mm -hmm. So not only, there's a really big difference that I'm sure your audience is focused in on of qualification versus truly approved and through underwriting. So we really were hammering, have these folks been approved and through underwriting? And then I think it's a reasonable question in these circumstances is what are their jobs? And luckily one was a nurse. So I felt great about that. And then one was, um, gosh, what was he? Oh, he was working for, um, had taken a position for a a church and, um, we felt pretty good about that, that they wouldn't lose their jobs and they could get to the finish line. And then again, it was about being efficient and speed. So we started literally the day we bought the property. Um, luckily we're in and out of that one and pulled all the permits. Um, We did have a little bit of a slowdown because we had to wait. Parker was a little bit slower in approving permits. And that's another thing we're looking at is if we're going to take on a project, we're really weighing do we have to pull permits because the city and county of Denver was closed for a long time. And then Parker closed for a while.
1: How was Douglas County working with the permits?
0: They were good, actually. Ironically, for a large area, they don't have a ton of inspectors. And so when you work with the same people a handful of times, they quickly know if you're going to do stuff right or not, and so this was um, really straightforward. The other thing we did that I liked on this deal, and also if we have two options side by side we will go with the house that's newer. Um, this house was only built in 2000, so for us that's by far the newest house we've ever done and so it while big in scope it was still a little more cosmetic in nature for us and less things to go sideways or foundations to be screwed up or shifting over 100 years, so that one was a good example of right before True lockdown, saw things coming down the pipeline, uncertainty, higher price point, um, but we were also way lower than new builds. And for me, that's really important because they have that option in that and, part and of town. And
1: Parker, if you guys have never driven that in Parker, it's new build, new build, yes. new build, new build, everywhere you look pretty much. Yes, um,
0: it is. And that's why I felt we had to be $100,000 to $200,000 less expensive, but completely remodeled with almost equal, in my opinion, levels of finish of a new build. Oh, wow. But drastically less expensive. So let's talk timeline here. So
1: when did you buy this place?
0: So our um, timeline, we call it close to close. So it's literally the day I buy it, all of my rehab time, putting it on the market, being under contract and selling it. um, This one was 74 days, close to close. And so you listed this Early April you said, right? Uh this one it closed May first. Okay. So yeah, we listed it yeah, really
1: early April. So you got this then April what? Mid February? Yeah, then? we got this one mid February. Okay. So yeah. really before this was on anyone's radar, the whole pandemic.
0: Yeah, it was you know what, I should have brought the exact purchase date, but it was um yeah, it was mid February. Wanna okay. say it was the sixteenth, I believe.
1: You know what do you remember what you uh bought it for?
0: Yeah, so we bought this one for three forty four.
1: Okay. And what was your your rehab costs in there.
0: So this one, we were all in for 79. Okay. And then we sold it for 500. So not nearly the normal profit we would have. Those are
1: definitely tighter margins. This one was a, yeah, yeah.
0: this was a tighter margin. Um, It penciled to where it would have been better than our typical flip at 525. But again, I just said, you know what? I can't determine what it's going to be. It's going to sit and immediately my next price cut is to 500. So come out of the gate at 500. Um, We were hoping that it would typically run up. Didn't, but all things considered on this one, I said, great, take my money and move on and do something else.
1: Yeah. Um. So, let's see, on that deal, any, sounds like it was pretty cosmetic. Mm-hmm. And no major curveball since it was only built 20 years ago, right?
0: Yeah. The upstairs was very cosmetic. We weren't changing layouts. It was a great layout, just dated. And then um, not necessarily cosmetic. We did a lot of work in the basement because it was unfinished. So we completely finished the basement, added a uh, conforming bedroom, finished out the living room, added kind of, we do, we call them kind of quasi master suites in the basements of these suburban properties. So you've got door that goes from your bedroom into your bathroom, uh, and then also, if guests are hanging out downstairs in the TV room or whatever, they can also use another door to use that bathroom. Um, but you can have guests or, you know, mom and dad or whatever you're doing. So that's kind of one of our and signatures. And that's the bedroom down there? Yep. Yeah, we yeah. added the extra bedroom. If they got an egress window? and No, luckily, because it was 2000, they had already pre-done the egress window. It was all just framed in and, and insulated and ready to go. Um, So it was definitely some work, but um, yeah, didn't have to do an egress window because it was already put in.
1: And can we uh, link to the listing in the show notes so people can check out the photos? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and this is another example of what what do we do to kind of spruce up the listing? Um, And so this one, the the cabinets themselves are actually really good. They were just dated looking. So we painted the bottom cabinets a really dark navy, and then we painted the upper cabinets, um, your classic white, and then we did gold hardware. So we kind of went a little bit more than we normally would have, for this type of product and made it truly look like it was out of a magazine. Again, $100,000 less than a new build and people definitely So out of your,
1: it. I think it's three or four, I don't want say, not pallets, but uh, yeah. what do you call them? Like finishing scenarios, yes. the farmhouse, whatever you have, yeah. I don't know what the word they use for it, which style did you go with?
0: So this one we did is our our contemporary style. Okay, um, But then we did add kind of, we've got um, now five, we call them fixture and finish packages. Of, of what is the style of how we're finishing out the house. So we went with our contemporary because I wanted to appeal to truly just the widest possible yeah. audience. So you're working with your gray, light gray color palette. You're doing um, dark black hardware on most of your your projects. Um, you're doing, you know, a light Oceana sparkly quartz. But this one, we wanted just it to look different, especially than the new builds. And all the new builds had just your classic white cabinets up and down. So we went with navy and gold hardware. Um, and, and a really nice faucet. And again, just, you know, a couple hundred dollars of an incremental cost. And we think that it helped sell this and and really make it stick out in the photos. There is nothing in Parker that looked like this, especially at 500.
1: So in addition to all this, I just had a thought, can you um, send us over some before photos so we can throw up on the blog post the after. listing for after photos? Yep. All right, that'd be cool because that's, I mean, obviously this is one of those, the visual things, you know, yeah. photos and spreadsheets are yeah, yeah. hard to describe of on course. podcast. Yep. Um Great. So, I mean, overall, you listed early April and kind of like probably the the worst, right around the worst time of all this. Right. And I mean, you took a haircut, but you didn't take a loss, right?
0: No, no, still definitely profitable. Yeah, it was uh, about a 9% return. um, And normally we're definitely 12 on average to 14. So didn't do quite what we normally did. But this kind of goes back to my finance and trader mentality sometimes even if it's a loss from time to time I would have considered doing that especially at this price point to get that much capital back and put it back to work but no we're blessed and got you know some profit and moved on
1: so uh, let's talk about your half duplex in the Highlands yes I mean that is a what like what were the cross streets because that I mean that's a hot part of town like what what part of the Highlands
0: yeah it's it's I guess considered West Highlands and the closest major cross streets are 37th and Irving Okay. Yeah. So it's almost in the middle of a hot spot of 38th and Tennyson that I'm sure a lot of people love and 32nd Lowell, your classic Highland Square. It's almost right in the middle of both of those. And so we, we love the location. It was a great spot.
1: So, uh, just a general question for you. Mm-hmm. I always like to ask flippers this. So, like, if you're buying, you know, houses in like, you know, those hot areas, but a lot of times you got those, you know, get the main streets on there. Do you have a rule of thumb for how many houses away you'll buy from like a busy street?
0: That's a great point. Um, We don't have a hard and fast rule of whether we will or will not. I'll still buy on a busy street, but I have to feel comfortable accounting for the lower price I have to list it to sell it. So I'll buy on Irving. I'll buy on Lowell. I'll buy on Tennyson. But we think on average uh, for busy streets, you have to be a minimum of $25,000 less than your competitor. That's a handful of blocks into a more quiet neighborhood.
1: And usually in good times, I mean, it doesn't make a big difference, yes. but you know, when times are not good, that's where all of a sudden you'll, yep. you'll take a haircut on those.
0: Absolutely. I've heard
1: hor- many horror stories from investors over the years on that.
0: Yeah, and you're right. You can't get spoiled with good times because not only do we not know, then you're just happy that your analysis is right and you make more money. Um, but no, we always have to sell for less if it's on a busy street. So
1: what was your timeline for this? When did you... You're close to close and kind of, when did you buy this place?
0: So this one, if we stay on track, we are currently under contract, um, scheduled to close June 15th. So if we hit that number, it will be 89 days close to close for this property.
1: So you bought that, what, around February 15th? Though? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. So again, right before you probably still weren't accounting for any of the coronavirus stuff no. while you're running offers on here. No. Right?
0: Not. Yeah. A, no. Definitely not because we had actually pursued this one almost two months earlier. It was um, committed to another person. It was an off-market deal. I said again, we're we come out of the gate this strong as humanly possible, and we say we're upfront. This is what we can do, and here's the other ways we can help you because there's always something else going on. They th- said, hey, I think I've got a better offer. I said, no problem. Um, And then they called me, you know, almost three weeks later and said, something weird's going on. And I said, great, Um, my offer, normally my offer actually goes down a little bit. um, But in this case, it was a good property person we wanted to work with. So we said, yep, everything's the same. You just tell me and we'll move the dates and called it a day. So we grabbed, yeah, so we analyzed it, you know, probably... Yeah, early January. Okay. And then ended up purchasing it in mid February. So what did you buy it for? So we bought this one for three fifty-two.
1: Okay. And what was your air your estimated ARV when you bought it? And what do you have in or what do you think you yeah. sell it for now?
0: So estimated ARV was right at five hundred. Um we are really sensitive to making sure we can price it and, and kind of get people in the fours and the fives. So we thought Still a very reasonably priced um, product at 500. We finished the basement, so there. Interestingly enough, there are not many three-bedroom, two-bathroom um, properties in that area. Either they're two ones, um, or they're single-family homes. So we kind of knew we had an interesting product and it could still be priced way less than a single-family home in that area. So we we had it as 500 ARV. Um, pulled comps leading up to it. We usually start to finalize things a couple days beforehand. And said we absolutely think that um, kind of 525 is the number, um, but we again wanted to be kind of conservative. This was when we listed it, which was last Friday. Um, we're we're Thursday now, so just under a week ago. Of course, there were showings that could happen, so that made us feel good. Um, but I said let's still price it reasonably, so we, we priced it 10 grand below where we thought. Um, and this is an so example. Around 515. F- yep. So we priced it at 515. And then this is an example of me wildly underestimating the demand. Um, we like to pat ourselves on the back and think that we put a good product, which I think we do. And we'll post it in show notes. But this is definitely a supply and demand thing because we, um, we couldn't clean fast enough. I mean, we had 76 showings in four days um, and we had 36 offers. And again, I don't like to um, jinx anything. So we're super excited to be with the, the buyer that we are with, but we are Um, significantly over asking
1: price. Out of those 36 offers, did you get any like low balls or like below list?
0: Um, Actually, no. We literally, there was every offer was at list or above. Um, The funny thing was there was one comment of a showings that they thought it was overpriced, um, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Everybody has their opinion and that's okay. But yeah, we... Did
1: you take a photo of the uh, 36 contracts in it
0: back? Yeah, the... the, uh, Yes, I really wanted to. I really wanted um our agent to send that to him and yeah. so I think we were actually spot on cuz 77 or 75 people thought it was pretty good. But yeah, not one single lowball. Everything wow. was at list and maybe the other takeaway for this is how I have an in-house team that lists our properties, but it was we are super steadfast in giving people a fair shot. And I don't come out of the gate, even though we knew there was going to be multiple offers on this property, we do not say that up front, because in my opinion, that's presumptuous. Yep. And so when we start getting offers, we say, great, we have multiple offers. Our kind of phrase is always put your best foot forward, do the best that you can. Um, and it went drastically higher than I thought. And so then we took This is insane. But we took 36 offers and we narrowed it down to six um, that were all really, really close. And they all had escalation clauses. So they're all beating one another out. And so we just said, look, no more escalation clauses. Um, Truly submit your highest and best. And this was in the morning. And we said, we'll 100% have a decision in the afternoon. We are not giving you guidance. You just do, you're all really close. And they knew where they had submitted. And that was it. And then we really scrutinized the buyers. Um, for me, a couple thousand dollars is not worth um, hoping that you've got the right buyer. I really wanted to have the best appraisal gap um, coverage. I wanted to have the people that loved the property. Um, we wanted to have people that had been searching for a while, ideally a good agent on the other side. These are all factors that are important for us. And I will leave money on the table to what we think is get the best possible buyer and have it close.
1: Did you... so? I know your team talked to the agents, obviously, Mm -hmm. but did you also, with all this, did you guys talk to like the lenders of your top six people to kind of see what the lenders are saying?
0: Yeah, that's actually, it's more important for us, in my opinion, to talk to the lenders. Yeah. So again, it's all about, are they a hundred percent approved and through underwriting, not just qualified, which anybody can jump online and get qualified in five minutes. And so even though it was a Saturday, we would tell people as offers came in, please just let your lender know that we are going to be calling them and we really hope they pick up because if they don't, you're probably going to move to the bottom of the pile because um, we have to feel comfortable of who we're going with. And and they were great. You know, Kudos to, to almost every lender that we ended up talking to. They were really good and didn't just blow smoke, um, told us exactly what was going on. We feel like in these market conditions, we can pry a little bit and say, again, what is their job? What are they doing? Um, interesting piece of kind of really current market intel that I had not thought about is I got a little concerned because people were conventional offers, but they were only putting down 5%, maybe 10% max. Um, And it's an expensive property. So I thought, well, are they truly qualified? And a lot of the lenders actually told us, no, our clients are super qualified, have great reserves. They want more reserves because we're in the middle of a pandemic and they want to be you know, kind of cash flush, they could easily put down 20%, but they are 100% approved and underwritten at the levels. And so I thought, you know what? Good kind of general financial decision yep. to put down, let's call it 50 to 100 instead of 150 to 200 because you could pay down your mortgage in a couple months. You obviously can't get that money back. So that was something that we had not run across. And after talking to a couple lenders, I thought, okay, actually totally makes sense.
1: So, I know the the properties in contract, contracts, I'm not sure what all details you want to share or can mm-hmm. share, but like, what other things are you going to talk about this before we move on to the third third one?
0: I think just the key takeaway in this is to hit our other two points from prior is I hadn't done a property in the Highlands in a little while because, again, we always get outbid. We're not willing to, to change our investment metrics of where we have to buy, but this did validate location, location, location. I mean, it's just a great spot. There's not very many of them out there. Um, Look at the other inventory that you're up against. There was only two active properties within a $100,000 price range, and they weren't that great, in my opinion. Um, So finish and have a great quality product. This was definitely one that we have. um, We call them discretionary change orders. So it's stuff you don't have to do, but you start to think about, okay, do we see lack of inventory? Do we see the finished product we're getting? Do we see people like walking by our house and... Looking in the windows and knowing a house is coming on the market, and so, this is
1: discretionary, but like you and your team standards, so yeah. Not feedback from people walking the. Oh primary, yeah, right? good point.
0: This is purely from me and my team, okay, um, in house, and we've got a couple people that fellow investors we talked to, but on this one we spent thirty three hundred extra dollars that we had absolutely did not have to spend, and that was going from let's say um, our kind of traditional courts to the nicest courts. That, that we can get in there at a reasonable price point. Um, upgrading a couple of the fixtures and finishes. This is one of those areas where you're going from the main level down into the basement. We could have done um, wood railings and it still would have looked nice, um, but we put in really cool brand new um, black metal railings. Mm. Um, so just a couple different things. We spent a little more on landscaping than we normally would have. Um, and it kind of zero-scaped the whole backyard so it was truly turnkey and I'm 100% convinced that we got exponential returns on those ones. If we're up against it, we saw the market, you know, stagnating. We absolutely would not have done that and priced it a little bit lower and been happy and moved on. But so
1: this is just kind of like based on the your guys' gut plus what you're seeing around. Yes. You know, a quarter mile radius or half yeah. mile
0: radius of the house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. For people to go, it actually, kind of a, a great little anecdotal thing on this one before we move on is we actually had, um, sounds crazy, but our fourth best offer. Uh, was a great agent that we always still want to build relationships with. We want to get backup offers. Um, we're pounding the pavement in that area, knocking on doors. We're trying to find more properties to say, "Hey, we'll we'll help you if we can find more stuff." But he said that the level of finish that you guys did, where they had just submitted on properties in the eight and nine hundred thousand dollar price range but they liked ours so much that they're like, we love this and we could totally do this. So we had people coming down from three or $400,000 That's a huge above. compliment. Yeah, I was really proud of that. I don't really kind of tutor our own horn yeah. very much, but I think that it just sticks to great location, finish that thing off, even if you're at the top end of your budget, if you're confident, you know that you can get it back. And if you can draw people um, at a way higher price point, I think that, that says a lot um, and just stick to your system.
1: And so let's talk about the third property you have on here, mm-hmm. this is the one in Congress Park you're
0: talking yeah. about? Yep, okay. we've, we've got a current condo on Congress Park. Uh, we just bought it this past Friday. And um, our our target is a 60-day close to close. So should be uh, a month to rehab the unit. It's just over 600 square feet. And ideally we go in our contract right away. Um, and our listing goal is to be right under $300,000. The nice thing about this is the yeah, other word no structural issues, super straightforward. Um we're seeing a lot of properties come off of what people had been holding as rentals you can tell for quite a while and they're now listing them. So there's not a ton of fixed up condos sub 300 or even sub 400 in that nice part of town. Yeah. So I'm I'm really pretty confident that we put our product out there we're going to be in in really good shape. Um and and be able to get this thing ready to go here in uh you know, in a couple of weeks.
1: So with these, you know, smaller properties, since you're Mm -hmm. doing a a 60 day turnaround time, I believe it's 90 day turnaround time for FHA financing. Do you have any concerns about, Hey, you're not, you know, the way your turnaround time, you can't, your buyers can't qualify for FHA.
0: That's a great point. I think in this buyer profile in this part of town, there are people that are financially sound enough to convert to a conventional, which we know is 5%. Uh, kind of on the low end versus a 3% FHA. So no, that is a great point to your listeners is that, we yeah, we would be too fast on this turnaround because an FHA has to season for 90 days. So yeah, we could potentially be cutting out a little bit of our buyer pool. Would this be a condo in Aurora um, or maybe some of the outer suburban markets where a true first-time buyer who needs to do an FHA loan? I would probably be a little leery um, or no, we're going to cut out some of our buyers, but I don't think we're going to cut out too many in this scenario of who's actually going to purchase this thing.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I was just kind of curious your thoughts because we, you know, we buy properties like this for house acts. You're mm-hmm. not in Congress Park, but you know, two or three bedroom condos a lot of times. And you know, I, I mean, I can only think of two or three deals last year that we did that were FHA. Yeah. Everything else, we just said, hey, go conventional because it's yep. a lot more attractive to to the listing agent and the seller. Yep. Um, and especially, we sometimes buy flip properties and they're below that 90 day seasoning period.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's a great point. No, I, I definitely cognizant of it, but I, I'm not too terribly concerned because of the price point. Is this should be right around three hundred thousand. Okay,
1: and so oh, actually, the one thing I forgot to ask about the Highlands property and then mm-hmm. this one, like, what were your what styles and uh, did you pick for these two properties?
0: Yeah, so for the um, the Highlands property, we have we have two different uh, contemporary styles. We have black contemporary, and then we just did a brand new chrome. Um, type of contemporary package. So on that one, we did the black contemporary um, with the white cabinets and the quartz that has kind of the gray vein that goes through that. Mm-hmm. Um, black hardware, primarily. The Congress Park one, we're going to do our n- brand new chrome contemporary package. Is that like
1: chrome finishes? Or yeah, okay. yeah,
0: chrome type of finishes. So the more shinier um, chrome type of a finish, still do uh, white on the cabinets. This one will probably do gray lowers, um and then white uppers to kind of change it up a little bit. And we'll do more chrome type of fixtures. So not brush nickel. They're they're kind of close um which is a little bit deeper of a look we actually use those for rentals but no this is kind of straight out of design magazines in the Denver Design so Center. So
1: chrome coming back in the style? It it is actually. Okay.
0: Yeah, it definitely it definitely is. So and then we're using more of a green type of color palette than than the light gray type of color palette so it's all just what's currently trending in the HGTV world and the design world. Um I actually hired an interior designer to redo Our package, and and she did a great job, and came up with this. So I kind of pulled myself out, and again, I always defer to women, especially when it comes to real estate, and we know they're going to be making the buying decisions. And so I had a designer and invested some time and and resources into. So basically, like
1: redid. You're talking about your your styles and your fixture and finish packages. Yep, like redid. The whole thing we talked about, what, three or four months ago?
0: Yeah, we probably kept 50% of it okay. and the other 50% of it. Um, this is a good example of one that is brand new. The other ones we swapped out some fixtures and finishes for things that were a little bit nicer, um, even better price point in certain areas. So we still have our black contemporary, our chrome contemporary, our farmhouse, our mid-century modern, and then we have a rental. So we still have five levels of finish, but we probably tweaked half of two or three of them and added a brand new one to stay current.
1: And when do you think this uh, Congress Park condo is going to list?
0: That should be done in three weeks. Okay. Yeah.
1: So your, I mean, your rehab will what, take less than 30 days? Yep. Go on the market and I mean, that location and price point, I mean, listed on Thursday, you should have multiple offers and, choose one by Monday, right?
0: That's really the goal. Yeah. And I think this really goes back to what we got in, in the meat of our episodes three and four of our Elevate Your Flip series, where if you've got your system dialed in, we we bought this with only a two-week lead time. And so we were really vigilant about getting in. We got in three different times after we went under contract, put together our budgets with our contractors, did the statement of work. Um, I closed at 9 a.m. and then guys were there at noon starting demo um, had our folders on site, um, our pretty rainbow folders that everybody loves so much. Um, had, you know, my project manager was there with his binder, first draw payment, ready to roll. We've got an amazing relationship with the contractor working with now. He had his guys work over the weekend. Um, Delphi for condos, we had passed out flyers to every neighbor to say, hey, we're gonna be working. Here's my contact info. I mean, we had this thing, this is kind of one of our really good test models to say, okay. We bought it, and two hours later, we were starting, and I'm really pushing to keep it done in in 30 days. So
1: have you noticed, um, like, a change in the contracting landscape scene? Because I've uh, talked to other, you know, flippers, and they said they've gotten so many more calls from contractors. Yes. And, hey, are you still hiring? Are you still paying? Mm -hmm. Have you noticed a shift from contracts that you work with?
0: We definitely have. And and honestly, we use this as um, kind of a— Hey, we weren't BSing you the first time around. Where if you treat us fairly in good times and bad, we are going to be in business. We're going to, our checks will clear. Um, We will write them often and we'll be really, really fair and organized. And now people, I think, hopefully realize oh man, these guys weren't BSing us. And so, yeah, people are not only calling, um, wouldn't see a huge price difference quite yet, but. Um, people are are more willing to to jump into things. So I think a lot of people just put the brakes on and said, "I'm not doing things." I know a lot of homeowners said, "I'm not doing my basement. I'm not doing my kitchen." So yeah, people are more receptive, and and we just tell them, "Look, when things are great, don't um you know don't screw us, and when things are not great for you, we won't screw you. Let's just work together, side by side, and let's do some business." Um and people have been great to work with.
1: What an amazing attitude. Shocking. And but it works, like yeah. I say, because a lot of people mm-hmm. don't do it. But I'm like, if you just treat people fair yeah. and you you have that like that win-win attitude, like yeah. you get good results.
0: It does. And and I wanna I mean, one contractor that we just started working with we're, were five projects in um Yeah, they get the big picture too. And we quickly realize who we really wanna work with, who we wanna scale up with. You know, we're teaching and consulting clients, so we're gonna refer more business. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems to be a no brainer. And then we tell them to use this same philosophy to your subs, like tell them, Hey, we're working with elevation or we're working with yeah. seasoned investors. We're going to treat them well too. So just take care of us. I'm not saying we need some massive price break, you know, I wouldn't turn it down, but uh, you know, these are just reasonable ways to do business and, and let's just all be reasonable about it. And we're going to, we're going to be here even when things may or may not get worse. We're going to be around and find a way to pivot and be successful.
1: So what are some, as we wrap up here, what are Mm -hmm. some good takeaways for people that are flipping or want to get into flipping? Yeah. You know, just in light of all the stuff going on, like what what should be people focusing on right now?
0: So I would say my number one thing through all this night is talk to as many people as possible, but focus on the data. Whenever I was talking to even way smarter investors than me, way more seasoned investors than myself, it was, how are you and your family doing? Make sure everybody's doing okay. But then what data are you looking at? What's one thing that was um, surprisingly in, in a good way about what's going on? And one thing that's been surprised in a bad way or more challenging and find out what data are looking at. I think you could talk to somebody and they just have a really off day or their kiddo catches a cold and we're worried that it's coronavirus. Yeah. And they just have an off day and they're freaking out and that's okay. We all have those days, but it's like, no, what data are you looking at? And then that data can help you make good decisions to move forward with your business at whatever stage you're at um or help you make good pivot decisions. If you're just going off of gut reactions and, and the emotional roller coaster that we're all on, that's a recipe for disaster. In good times and bad it's just amplified in my opinion in these times.
1: And with this, are you, I mean, have you seen for like especially maybe for new investors, yeah. have you seen harmony lenders like pull back? Yes. Um or tighten up their requirements? I've I've talked to some Investors who, you know, invest their IRA money in mm-hmm. with hard money investors are like, hey, I'm going to pull my money. Yes. I'm like, okay, I, I, don't, I don't blame you. I don't do any of that myself. I'm kind of yep. curious, like, what have you seen in that world as far as like the lending world right now for short-term fix and flip stuff?
0: I completely agree. There are definitely lenders that are pulling back um, to kind of go to one of our former episodes too. There are great national lenders, but what I think is more important is having good relationships with local lenders who will tweak their guidelines, just like we're changing our business model a little bit, but they will still lend and it's good to be qualified with all them. Um, So yeah, there were definitely some people that were pulling back. Um, There were also some people that were, were getting more aggressive and actually I had one lender who cut their rate um, Hmm. on a monthly basis to try to gain market share. And I totally applaud that. And that's something that we're trying to do is, um, be strategic in what you do for your business, but gain market share. I think that's huge. So the majority, yeah, they were tightening their, their, um, you know, purse strings a little bit, but one of them was like, no, we're here to go. And we'll actually give you a little better deal to try to pick up volume. I like
1: that attitude. I mean, that's that's my attitude. It's like, Hey, just people are pulling back.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You're well capitalized, well positioned. Yep keep advertising
0: yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. so no did and then our big thing too was also played a little bit lower price point so that i wasn't banking on selling my fixed up products to people that needed to take out jumbo mortgages yes because the jumbo market is still a mess um and really hard to get a jumbo loan so for us uh, mid fives is again highest we're selling at and i'd love to sell under five or let it run up um just so that people aren't taking out those jumbo mortgages
1: yeah, talk about that because I've mentioned my podcast before, but and that's such a nuance factor on there. Mm-hmm. Like, tell people why you're doing that. Like, what's going on? You know?
0: Yeah. So for us, um, a jumbo mortgage, and I'm gonna, I'm blanking on the exact dollar amount. I want to say it's five hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars. It's right around there. I should know that right Denver. from the top of my head, but yeah, yeah just under six hundred thousand dollars. If you're borrowing that much or more, which means you're probably buying at six fifty to $700,000 to, to more than that, then you're in a different lending category and you're obviously a higher risk um, for people that are lending you their money. And the liquidity, which is just that movement of money or the ability to get a loan is way, way harder. So there's a lot of people that just pulled back and said, I don't know if it's going to be worth it to lend to people who are buying a six, seven, eight $800,000 house um, and maybe only putting ten percent down. So your person who's buying that house is gonna be harder to get qualified for a loan, and that's the way you get to the finish line. So for us, it's just even more validated, don't flip as expensive of a home. Um, and I know everybody has different business models, but I talked to two or three other guys in the rehab and flipping business, and good niche, I think, but they were buying in the four, five, and six hundred thousand dollars and selling in the seven, eight, and nine hundred thousand dollars range their whole buying audience is, is drastically in a different financial position. And usually those are the interesting folks that are doing well, but maybe not enough true wealth to scratch a check to buy that house for cash, doing better than, you know, people making seventy dollars or $80,000 in combined income. Um, so they probably have a job, but if they've got a second house in the mountains, they're taking that mortgage into play. If they are, somebody's cutting back on, you know, elective surgeries and their surgeon, like all that stuff factors in. It's harder to get a loan. And so it's less people that can buy my house.
1: And they're watching their stock market. The portfolio, yes. Good call. Going on a roller coaster.
0: Totally. You're right. They are much more market driven, yeah. in my opinion, maybe even for the short term um, roller coaster that we're on. So yeah. Or maybe they were pulling money from the stock market and that's not there now. So yeah, that's a great point. Um, definitely something to be cautious of.
1: So I know we were prepping for this. Um, Derek, you had mentioned you've got an updated spreadsheet. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was that you mentioned, but you said there's an updated spreadsheet yeah. 3.0 or something. What What is it? Give
0: us a rundown. We do. So we'll we'll put this up for your listeners. We've got our deal analyzer. Um, we're on version 3.0. And the difference is we've got three different options now. Talking about how do we pivot. Um, these This is the spreadsheet that you use to analyze is it a good deal or not. Before we had a... Um, a tab on our spreadsheet geared towards single family full house flips and we had a cost per square foot for your quick math to determine your rehab n- number um, we've adjusted that number we've got another tab that's more the condo and townhome version mm. and um, so we've got two separate tabs so you're not changing all the numbers around we kind of cleaned it up too so aesthetically it's a little easier to use a little nicer um, and then we added a third tab and again just to be sensitive to the market I do not want to build our business on okay, we only can do more volume at a lower margin. We want to have more options. So in addition to the one-bedroom and one-bathroom condos, we're starting to actively go after what we call a true cosmetic flip. So that is a more suburban home where we are totally decking out the kitchen, the master bathroom, um, maybe a secondary bathroom or two, and carpet and paint. So it's still, we, we rate our flips based on true flip quality, kind of a homeowner plus, which is a nice home that's been kind of updated, a regular homeowner, you know, kind of your 10-year-old data or the as-is product that we're buying. So we feel like we can be in between homeowner plus and fix and flip quality, but at a way lower cost so that we're selling a cheaper house on the back end. Mm, So we can look at that one in almost $100,000 spread and still have nice profit margins and get in and out faster. And then, interestingly enough, I'm not selling the most expensive house as a fixed up product. So our deal analyzer has how to look at those deals separately. So we have three different analysis tabs that you can quickly crank numbers out for three scenarios and hopefully that gives people more options. So
1: this is a, a much bigger update than I expected. Yeah. I thought it was just some minor but it sounds like mm-hmm.
0: it's a yeah. big update. Yeah, it's definitely pretty robust. Okay. Well, yeah. We may
1: have to do a new YouTube video on that. Yeah. Um, sounds like there's more stuff to click on. Yeah, a lot more um, clicking
0: in colors. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll,
1: we'll definitely make a note of that. So yeah. what... Uh, as we close out here, what other updates or final thoughts do you want to share with everyone?
0: Yeah, so I would just say um, we talked about the the first point. The second one is just be a value, which is why I really appreciate our relationship, is just provide information yeah. to people, help people out. And it seems kind of cliche, but good things will come around.
1: Oh, it's the, an amazing business method. Just provide that, help people out. and like, Right. You usually don't make a dollar today, but you'll make $10 tomorrow type of thing.
0: I completely agree. And I think along those lines, it's help people out who really did get hit in this type of economy. And how can you cross market with them? So I've got a colleague that um, works in the um, senior placement space. And so his business has totally dried up because people are not placing mom and dad in a facility because, A, they can't tour it. And B, when you get there, that's such a high risk community that uh, people are saying, no, let's build on a suite on the back end because we don't want to have mom and dad go into a a senior community. So it's like, how can I cross market with that person to help their business or really grow it coming out of this instead of um, just saying, hey, can we, you know, I don't know what the other good example would be, but buy you dinner or do something to kind of help them in the short term. It's like, no, let me spend my marketing dollars to help cross promote. And let's just help other people out that will inevitably come back around. Um, and then it's just again about your business fundamentals. So location, putting out an amazing product, how fast can you do it? Um, in a reasonable way, not cutting corners, but just all things being equal, choose projects that are a little bit lighter lifting. Um, and then really just take care of yourself. I'm not nearly as good as as I should be, but you actually can take time to decide what do you want to do coming out of this. You know, you've got more headspace to decide how do you want your business to run. Um, what can you add to it? What can you help people out with? So.
1: Well, you get that by binge-watching Netflix on the downtime, right?
0: Oh, it, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wish. <laughs> There's something that, else we
1: talked about a few weeks ago. Sadly,
0: my definition of binging so far is I've watched two episodes in a row one time of one thing. So it's all about just keeping, you know, with your schedule. And we'll yeah. also post in the show notes just podcasts we're listening to um, that, that are just as good like the one we're on, different books to read, um, you know, and, and providing value. So we're happy to do a strategy session with folks too.
1: Okay, so I'm bringing a list now of all of those just for my you know selfish needs which which one's your favorite out of here?
0: Yeah, so um, I would say, gosh, there's I tried to have a good cross section of business strategy podcasts, kind of health and and wellness podcasts, and then business building podcasts. um so gosh, out of all of them, if I had to pick one, I would actually say that uh Peter Atia. Is a super interesting guy. He is an MD uh, and a physician, and he's done some co-hosting on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And he is so interesting and smart and and analytical. He did a podcast probably a year ago where he interviewed Sam Zell. I mean, hands down, one of the visionaries in the real estate investing space. And I would 100% listen to that episode. Okay, Um, so it's Peter Tia on the Tim Ferriss podcast, Sam Zell episode super, super interesting and it just helps put things in perspective.
1: Very cool. Well, Derek, thank you for uh, sharing your time and some information. It's
0: been great. Chris, thanks for having me.
1: And everyone, uh, listeners out there, you know, our our plan, again, we're, you know, we kind of figure this stuff out as we go, but our our rough plan is to kind of keep doing some every quarter. But I've had lots of great feedback from my original series that Derek did with me back in January. If you guys got specific uh, items or topics, Email me, email Derek. Like, that's, you know, uh, we're always open for feedback and we'll definitely try to provide what you guys want to hear.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, Derek, thanks again, man. Chris, thanks for having me.